you full trophy. Huh? Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party! I knew he was gonna be up for one more of those. Congratulations, Kansas City. The Chiefs are the AFC champions. Dan Tracy, what have I done over the past month that was good, that deserved your presence twice in not only a week, but twice in 48 hours? I know. Can you believe it? We're back here. Um, I, I know this is probably coming out later in the week, but for anyone listening, we're recording Tuesday after recording on Sunday which means not a lot has happened in between, but that's okay because we are going to break down Super Bowl 57, which is only a few, five days away now. By the time you're listening to this, maybe three, two. One so action. No. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, this is something that we planned for probably since the beginning of the playoffs. We said that this was going to be a one-off episode of just purely about the Super Bowl, obviously the biggest game probably in American sports every single year, I would say, by far. Um, a very, very exciting matchup we have, obviously. It is the Kelsey Bowl. It is the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Philadelphia Eagles. But before we start diving into uh, player matchups, we're going to do uh, basically, we're, we're going to look at both teams' positional groups and kind of talk about what team we think is better. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to discuss obviously what team we think is going to win. But before we get into all that, we do want to mention one thing that literally right after I posted episode 26, well, I scheduled it. I didn't post it yet, so it wasn't out. So everyone who listened to episode 26 was probably like, when did they record this? Because this is information that's already passed. We talked about the Kyrie Irving trade. We said that we thought his best fit would be Dallas. And then we went on really like a whole tangent talking about Dallas. So we're going to both claim that we called that trade. Uh, it, you know, I think it's a great trade for both teams. And I mean, Cam Thomas is already looking like an amazing replacement for Kyrie Irving uh, for the Nets. And, you know, Kyrie and Luca together, that's going to be fantastic. But uh, I know we just wanted to touch on that for a minute. What did you think about the compensation of that trade? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I thought it kind of lined up with what we expected, which was, uh, you know, a couple, couple significant draft picks. Um, and then you need to throw in some some players to make the money work. And so Dinwiddie made the money work, and Dorian Finney-Smith, who's getting paid a little bit, made the money work. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a deal that it keeps the Nets in it. You know, they, they don't feel like they're it's a lost season. And while, you know, they're not really a team that's going to win a championship, and I'm not sure they were before the trade. Um, now you have two pieces that the Mavericks really valued, Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, and you can either roll with that and try to build around or build with one or two of them next year, or you can use them to uh, make a trade, or you can use those draft picks to make a trade. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about them being interested in some of the Raptors players, uh, Van Vliet, and maybe even Siakam, if that was, you know, if that was doable, if the Raptors wanted to, were open to trading them. Um, you know, if they can turn some of those assets into one of them, I, I think they're in pretty good shape, especially with what you mentioned. Uh, Cam Thomas is is turning into a, a serious score. I know there's a lot. Did I say Cam Thomas or Tam, Cam Smith when I think we started? You said Cam Thomas. I think you got it right. Okay. I would think I would have noticed that. Yeah, I got NFL draft prospects <laughs> on the brain, so that's why I, I had to make sure. Okay. No, you know that one. But the you know the Nets, 
uh, can finally, uh, maybe they'll finally feel free from that distraction of Kyrie Irving. We'll get to rant back, assuming he doesn't want to be traded. Uh, and they can actually finally build something around people who want to be there. But, you know, like we mentioned, for the Mavericks, I, I feel like they had to do it. They're in a, a wide open conference. Uh, com- feels like it's completely up for grabs, especially with the news of another another Curry injury, which is uh, which might bury the Warriors in the standings a little bit. Um, that conference is wide open, and they weren't winning the conference. They weren't winning a championship uh, with what they had before. So you might as well take your chances with Kyrie Irving. Um, I think my one holdup was whether they'd have to give him an extension right away. Like if this is a situation where he's like, if I'm getting traded, I need a new contract. And he didn't do that. So I think it's great for the Mavericks. You know, they can they can wait it out until the summer uh, and then figure out if they want to keep him or not. And I think um, kind of like what happened with, with uh, eight years ago, uh, or yeah, I think it was eight years ago. They knew by the end of it, they weren't keeping him. It didn't work. I think by the end of this, they'll know whether it works or not. Three three months yeah. is a long time. You know, it's it's and kind of trying to get into the impossible enigma that is Kyrie Irving's mind. From my standpoint, you know, I go to Dallas, right? If I say before I want to get traded, listen, I need a new extension before I even step foot on the court, and then I hate it in Dallas, absolutely hate it. Now I'm going through this whole situation yet again with a different team, and it just makes me look so much more toxic. I think, honestly, that Kyrie might just be like, you know what, let me try it out. I mean, I get to work with one of, if not the best players in the NBA right now in Luka Doncic. You know, let's see how it goes. Let's see where this takes us, and then we'll worry about an extension later. So I hope that's kind of what he's thinking. I hope he doesn't play five games and go, listen, I'm not playing another minute until I get $200 million for three years. I definitely hope that's not going to be the case. But uh, one other thing I wanted to say before we move on, I'm not the biggest fan of the NBA. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my Knicks to death, all that kind of stuff. I keep up with all the players. I keep up with all the action. You know, it's just not something – let's just put it this way. If I had a choice of the four major sports that I watch, basketball would probably be the last one that I would choose. Uh, Nothing against basketball, just kind of like how I grew up. But – I will say one thing that I enjoy about basketball more than any other sport is the trading. I, the trading is bonkers because, you know, you could – I think I love the fact that, like, you could just trade so many first-round picks and you it really doesn't matter. Because I think in Stephen A. Smith's rant about Kwame Brown where he said, first off, understand something. If you're a quality playoff team in the NBA, you don't really need first-round picks. And I didn't think that resonated with me until like recently where, you know, or maybe when the Knicks offered like seven first round picks for Donovan Mitchell and they were like, <laughs> that's not going to do it. You know, I was like, what? Seven first round picks. But no, I, I I love the trading. It's completely bonkers. There's teams that come out of left field that you'd never expect. Like, I feel like Sacramento is going to be like a buyer at the trade deadline this year because they're playing the best basketball that they played like in the last 20 years. There's three so, seed. Yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting to see, and I, I I love seeing these random teams come out of the woodwork and spend, you know, whatever it may be to bring in, like, a B-level star. Yeah, I mean, these, um, you know, first-round picks, in, you know, if you're a playoff team, are essentially, like, they're just assets. That's all they yeah. are. And so where they make a difference, though, uh, you know, the reason why you can't just trade them for anybody is this is why the Lakers couldn't get Kyrie Irving or, or couldn't get anybody else, really, because they're only two first-round picks that are tradable are 20, 2027 and 2029. That's all they have left. 
Uh, and so teams are like, all right, well, you know, that's not the best package we can get, so we're not going to trade with you. Um, they don't really have any young players that they that are attractive either that they want to trade. So, um, you know, eventually it catches up to you, but not because you can't draft guys. It's more because you no longer can trade for everybody because you've already traded away all your first-round picks. So the Lakers are kind of a cautionary tale. And, you know, don't trade them for just anybody because now when Kyrie Irving becomes available, uh, you're stuck. You got nothing, yeah. And, yeah, but, you know. But for Kyrie Irving, like you said, it's a great opportunity for him. I mean, clearly there's a market for him. Like, we saw four teams try to get him. The Mavericks, Suns, Lakers, uh, and there was somebody else. I Clippers. The Clippers, yeah. The Clippers were involved. Um, and, you know, if he put – that's after all this drama. If he puts together uh, a solid three or four months in Dallas and they go – you know, they maybe win a playoff series. He stays out of drama. He plays well. Him and Luca look okay together. He's going to get paid by somebody. Like, you know, he's going to get a max deal from somebody and probably Dallas in that situation. But even if they yeah. don't want to, uh, it could just be anybody else. So it's a it's a huge opportunity for him to kind of put the past behind him. Can he can he do it? Like, is he capable of being normal for four months? I, I don't know. We're about to find out. Probably not. But it's a good chance for him to kind of rewrite uh, his reputation a little bit. Yeah, it's... Um... Turning over a new leaf, I guess we'll say. Well, we'll see how long that leaf uh, stays turned. So uh, getting down to the meat and potatoes of what we want to talk about, well, you know, getting into the biggest matchup of the year for American sports. This is Super Bowl 57 that we are talking about. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles, Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey. You know, I, I hate that that's like a storyline, but like it is pretty cool. Like it and I feel like it's being talked about a little bit too much considering that like they both don't – I mean, if this was Travis Kelsey, the quarterback, versus Jason Kelsey, the quarterback, that would be the most amazing thing ever. But, you know, we're talking about a center versus a tight end and granted two of the best to ever play their positions for sure. But uh, it's an interesting tagline. At least it gives us something. I feel like this is one of the most marquee matchups that we've seen in quite some time that's really not getting that much – uh, praise really not getting that much hype. I haven't heard too much about it. And we're, and we're into day two of Super Bowl week or day three, if you count Sunday and, uh, haven't really heard too much. I mean, it's what's going on here. You know, part of it, I think is there's not really any controversial figures here, right? Like there's no Eli Apple to, uh, to, <laughs> to have fun with here. I think people like to dislike the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and, I, I get it because that's just what people do with uh, with successful teams. You know, yeah. I don't want to say they're a dynasty, but with dynasty types. So I get it. But there's no, you know, who are you going to get upset at? Who are you really going to root against um, in this matchup? You know, at the end of the day, it's not like Mahomes is a hateable figure for a reason. It's more just because he wins. And, you know, nobody yeah. really goes out there and hates anybody on the Eagles. I mean, uh, everyone except loves for the Eagles in general, except for, yeah, except for Eagles, maybe people hating Eagles fans. And I get that, but um, <laughs> you know, nobody's like, Oh, I can't wait to see Jalen hurts lose the super bowl. And I can't wait to see Jason Kelsey go down, or I can't wait to see Travis Kelsey go down. So, you know, th there's that. And I think the other part of it is the other part of it is Kansas City's not like a, a major media market, you know, not a huge city that everybody hates. Um, so, you know, it's not like – it's kind of similar to last year. I think last year there was – nobody was really hated in that scenario, but there was intrigue because the Bengals and Rams were new to that. Burrow had never been there. Stafford had never been there. You know, Mahomes has been there. And uh, yeah. some of the Eagles have been there, though, you know, Jalen Hurts hasn't. 
Uh, but I think you're going to see it start to build a little bit as the two weeks is a long time. I think when when it when it really starts feeling close, uh, you're gonna you're gonna feel the anticipation build a little bit, and yeah, it should think, be a good one. Oh, absolutely, it should be a good one, and we're gonna break down every matchup pretty much. But I I feel like maybe I w- I was giving it a week because I feel like the week in between the championship games and the Pro Bowl is kind of just like a relaxation week, like for us to get some mental clarity, like the players to kind of relax and then, okay, we're going to focus on the Pro Bowl. And this year there was a lot of added fanfare onto the Pro Bowl because it was so different. Granted, I thought it was better. Granted, I still thought it was a disaster. I think that the NFL just needs to hand out Pro Bowl, uh, whatever, what I guess, nominations, and that's it. Just hand them out like they hand out the all-pro selections and just be done and dusted with it because it seems like everything that they do just is crap with the Pro Bowl weekend, even though there was a lot of fans there. If you watch, I don't know if you watched any of the flag football game, but when they panned over to the crowd, it was pretty much like a sold out event. I was genuinely surprised by that. Well, it's funny because the um, I, didn't, I didn't see any of it and, and I'm happy. Yeah, uh, you didn't miss anything. Don't worry but, about it. But the NFL is kind of like a made for TV event and the Pro Bowl is completely different. Like it seems like, uh, you know, it seems like the Pro Bowl, even when it was in Florida, I know Hawaii it had a lot of buzz. Even when it was in Florida, down in Orlando, it seemed like they got a really good crowd. I remember the videos from uh, the day that that Kobe Bryant died because he died while the Pro Bowl was yeah. going on. There were a lot of, you know, this is completely aside from that, but there are a lot of people there. It seems like it's a bit, it's a cool event for the fans. And you know, if it was nearby and you have all those, those, uh, you know, and big names coming to your city, and I'd probably go too. But yeah, it's not really – it's kind of the opposite of what the NFL kind of is, which is a, a made-for-TV thing instead of an in-person thing. But um, unfortunately for them, I don't I don't think it really pays the bills. You know, all those people showing up, I think they need the TV ratings, and the ratings this year were not really any better than last year. So I, I think they'll stick with it for another year. But I, after that, if it goes down again, you know, then, then they gotta they got to start thinking about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much a disaster, but – I kind of like stopped my point for a second. I realized as we were talking about it, I was like, well, this doesn't really make sense to what we were talking about. But what I kind of meant was, you know, you give that week up to the Pro Bowl. And especially since there was added fanfare to the Pro Bowl, this or whatever you want to call what we saw, the flag football game. uh, I kind of felt like there was a little bit uh, less, even less pressure to the two teams that are in the Super Bowl. So I think maybe because there was so much fanfare on top of the Pro Bowl this year and so much maybe added hype, I guess, for a different format, a different feel to it, that now we're kind of building back up to the media storm that's about to come. Because usually I feel like in years past, by tomorrow's going to be Wednesday, usually by Wednesday I'm really, you know, like we're we're fully immersed in the – interviews into the the player matchups all that kind of stuff and I feel like maybe it's because I haven't really been paying as much attention to it on the TV per se but you know it, I feel like it's it's a little bit underwhelming so far but uh, that's not going to stop us from discussing uh, player matchups and the first one that we want to talk about obviously is the most marquee or one of the most marquee, and that is superstar Patrick Mahomes versus superstar Jalen Hurts. Now, I think this one is pretty simple. We're going to basically go by what team has the better positional group. So, obviously, 
Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the game right now. We're going to have to rock with KC, or at least I'm rocking with KC, but that's not to take anything away from Jalen Hurts, who's had a fantastic season, you know, 22 passing touchdowns, 13, was it 22 or, yeah, 22 or 25, something like that, 13 rushing touchdowns to add to it. He's been okay in the playoffs. They haven't asked him to do too much. So what I'm thinking is Jalen Hurts is going to get off to a little bit of a slow start in this Super Bowl because he hasn't been asked to do so much. And this is obviously the biggest task that the Eagles have faced so far this year. It's amazing that the biggest matchup they saved for last. Now, you know, you know, you look at the Bengals last year, you look at the Rams last year, that was not the biggest task that either of those teams faced. This is, you're going into, what is this, the 20th game of the season for both teams or the 21st game? Yeah, 20th, I, I, 20th, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and and they've gone 20 weeks, and this is the toughest test. So I think they might start off a little bit slow, but I think Jalen Hurts is going to you know get back into the swing of things. But who knows how, how long that's going to take. And Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes at the end of the day. He could get back into the swing of things, and it could be 21-0 KC already. You know, the game could be uh, essentially lost by then. So uh, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about his uh, – how they haven't asked him to do too much the last couple of games. Yeah, I think that's my my biggest concern uh, with the Eagles. I mean, we know that their their roster is ridiculously talented, and we know that Mahomes has the the quarterback advantage here, no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, Hertz is more than talented enough to win the game, especially with what he has around him. Um, but yeah, the the concern is he's never been here before. He has not played in the Super Bowl, and not only that, he hasn't played in a close game in the playoffs yet. Um, not to say he's played poorly. I think uh, against the Giants, he was great until they, you know, they didn't ask him to do anything else. Um, and then the 49ers, you know, he he had some moments where he was disappointing. Uh, he had a uh, big moments early on and then some in the middle of the game, some disappointing moments. And then he kind of started taking what the defense is giving him and using his legs more, which, you know, I think as long as he stays smart like that and avoids turnovers, he'll be in good shape. Um, but, you know, we saw Mahomes not look really his his best. Uh, in the in his first Super Bowl, second one not really his fault. You know he was he was harassed uh, throughout that game, but against the 49ers, he didn't look like like signature Patrick Mahomes uh, until the fourth quarter. And uh, you know I, not to say he went in there like shaking in his boots, but I think there are naturally some some nerves in the Super Bowl. So I, I think you can't rule that out for Jalen Hurts. You know if he comes out and he's, you know he's throwing the ball like he has all year, Eagles are in great shape and. Um, but you know, what he can't do is come out looking a little scared. Uh, and you know, even, even last year, I think Joe Burrow had a little bit of a slow start. You know, he clearly started, he started feeling it later, but then the pressure started coming at him. Um, I think if, you know, the key will be to see how, how quickly Hertz can, can get going. But the good news for the Eagles is, and maybe it's a good segue to that. I'm sure you have something to add, but maybe a good segue is that they have, that that was was pretty much spot on, Dan. They have a terrific (laughs) running game to rely on, right? Hertz has that. So maybe we can transition into that then yeah absolutely and uh i, I actually answered this question on twitter someone po- um posted the question saying well you know who do you give the advantage to offensively and i actually said a lot of people were going well casey has patrick mahomes and that's it it's so much more than that it yeah. really is and we're going to obviously break down the other pos- positional groups but you talk about the run game for you know not to mention that jalen hurts also acts as a quarterback and a running back then you have Miles Sanders coming off of the best year of his career. Kenneth Gainwell was coming off of um, 
did he have a hundred rushing yards in, in against San Fran? It was close, I think. I don't know what he finished with. Um, but I, I know that he had a hundred his first ever one hundred uh, yard rushing game against the Giants. He rushed very well against San Fran, and you still have Boston Scott in there who squeaks out a touchdown here and there. You know, it, it's a it's tremendous depth. You're talking about four guys that le- legitimately could get legitimate carries, and then you look at the KC side of the ball where it's you know don't get me wrong. They got some great names in there. Jarek McKinnon, fantastic receiving back. Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round running back, basically coming out of nowhere. Everyone forgets about Rojo, who honestly seems like one of those guys who will like randomly have a, a big role in the Super Bowl. You know how there's always that one guy? Oh, yeah, no, that's what that, the Chiefs do. Yep, it's a random guy. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it seems – I have a weird feeling that I'm going to bet on uh, Ronald Jones getting the first carry of the game for the, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like It just feels uh, odd enough to that point, but – you know, they have a, a good group as well, but it's just, you know, the zone run concept that Philadelphia runs is just, it's a match made in heaven with the bodies that they have. Uh, I, I think it's its easily one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, and it's, it, it's definitely a better positional group for the Eagles than than the Chiefs. Yeah, the, and the, the Bengals couldn't really run the ball against the Chiefs. They had a hard time. They couldn't. They didn't mix in and, and couldn't run it as well as they did uh, against the Bills, which was much different than the first time they played, which is when you know Samaj P. Ryan kind of uh, steamrolled the the Chiefs defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, part of that has to do with blocking, and the Eagles are going to have much better run blocking. I mean, there's there's no oh, yeah. doubt uh, that their offensive line is is one of the best in the league, and it, it's a, it's. Tremendous. Probably is the best in the league, if we're being honest. Yeah, no, I think it is. And, you know, at run blocking, it's right at the top, too. So um, I, I think, you know, when you have four four legitimate options that you can bring at teams, especially in the, you know, near the goal line, who knows who's scoring a touchdown? It could be Canewell. It could be Boston Scott. I looked today. I said, my, I saw Miles Sanders had 11 touchdowns. I was like, oh, you know, that's more than I thought because you see, you feel like you see Boston Scott and Gainwell and Hurts scoring a lot. It turns out they just score a ton of touchdowns. Like Hurst, yeah. like you mentioned, has 13. And then Gainwell and Scott have a combined seven. This is in the regular season. That's 32 rushing touchdowns between yeah, four guys. And that's, and that's only in the regular season. So uh, the, the Chiefs have a completely different challenge than what they faced against the Bengals. It's better run blocking. Uh, it's, a, it's a more diverse uh, backfield when you've got four guys coming at you. Um, I also They also were mentioning, I don't know how true this is, that, uh, that Jalen Hurts wasn't 100% uh, to begin the playoffs. And it wasn't the passing, it was the running. Like, you know, running, lowering the shoulder, things he couldn't do. Uh, I would think after two weeks, he's probably even healthier now and able to to use his legs more and, you know, really put push himself into defenses. So um, I, I you have to say they have the advantage. On the Chiefs' side, it's, it's kind of a, a hit or miss. I, I think Pacheco really didn't look great uh, out of the backfield last week. He As a pass catcher, he looked good. He wasn't yeah. able to do much uh, as a runner, um, and that hurt them. Like, let's not pretend the Chiefs had a, this great free-flowing offense last week. Uh, it was moving well when Pacheco was was making catches out of the backfield. You know, though, he could still do that. That's good. Um, but toward the end of the game, they, they didn't really have a running game, and for that reason, they kind of stalled because Patrick Mahomes couldn't do everything. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right about that, and it's it's – God, that's why I wish, like – I love Andy Reid's offense. You know, I love the fact that you have the best quarterback in the league. You might as well use him. You know, this is probably the most talented quarterback we've ever seen in NFL history. You know, use him as much as you can. 
if they can, if they could just get a bell cow running back, like say somehow, like this off season, they draft like Bijan Robinson or something like that, and just get a guy that could truly be a, a three down running back. I know that's not really how uh, Andy Reid rolls in terms of offense. Like you're always going to get rotational guys in there, but God, imagine taking just a little bit of that pressure off of Patrick Mahomes. How unstoppable! If you can get a guy to rush for a thousand yards for the Kansas City Chiefs, that's unbelievable. But yeah. you know, the, the fact of the matter is, the, the the running backs are both used in completely different ways for both teams. But I mean, if we're looking at purely positional value, you got to give it to the Eagles there. And then, in turn, what we started talking about was the offensive line. I think it's clear that. The Philadelphia, I think the Philadelphia Eagles have the best offensive line in football by by far. I mean, you have three Pro Bowlers on when healthy. You know, you got Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson. You have Jordan Mailata on the other side. You have Lane Johnson. Uh, who I don't, I actually think it was those three. No, it might have been. It was Johnson, Dickerson, and Kelsey who got Pro Bowl nods. And I think because Mailata missed a little bit of time, yeah. he didn't get the nod. But then, you, and you also have Isaac Sayamalu, who very quietly who is considered the worst offensive lineman on that offense, had an 83 PFF grade this season as well. And he was fantastic fantastic in run blocking. And the best part is, if Jason Kelsey were to retire, or if he was to come out and play one more year, and Isaac Sayamalu was to leave, then you have Cam Juergens waiting, who just literally sat on the bench and practiced with the best offensive line in football for – a year, you know, he could be ready to step right into a role as well. So there's really no let up anywhere for this Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. And don't get me wrong. The chiefs, very, very decent offensive line in their own right. You know, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, you know, all these guys, Andrew Wiley has played a really interesting role this year, actually been pretty solid. You know, they got good guys as well, but I just, I don't think that you could, you could compare with the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line what they do in pass blocking and what they do in run blocking. Yeah. The Eagles have the better offensive line. I think you could put them up against any team in the league and we can say that. Um, but this is a year where it's a, it's a great year for offensive line promoters, offensive line nerds, because look at this. I you know, the, the, guys. These two, these two great offensive lines both made it to the Super Bowl, And um, this is kind of off, off topic a little bit, but uh Huge credit to Brett Veach, who rebuilt that offensive line after the Chiefs' offensive line after what happened in Super Bowl 55. You know, four new starters they got, and all four of them uh, turned out to be huge pieces. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. Trey Smith was a, uh, a day three pick. Yeah, Creed Humphrey was a day pick. three pick. Creed Humphrey is, a, when you know, when Jason Kelsey retires, Creed Humphrey might have a case to be the best center in the league. Uh, so, you know, you've got this uh, this great interior interior offensive line. I think the, the concern, and it's not really a concern, but relative to the other offensive line, is how these two tackles hold up. You know, Wiley, like you said, interesting is a good word to describe it. Uh, you know, he's not perfect, even though he's probably better than people than people think. Yeah. Um, and Orlando Brown has been kind of shaky in his own right, and he started the year slowly. He was much better late in the year, and then he kind of had he's had some moments in the playoffs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those two uh, on the end hold up against such a great uh, defensive front for the Eagles, because, you know, they, you got what I, I think we talked about this earlier in the year. The Eagles have so many options on that defensive line to come at the quarterback, it's starting insane. with Josh Sweat, 
But, you know, then Brandon Graham, like somehow at age 33 off of a torn Achilles, had 11 sacks. Dude, listen listen to this. I mean, actually, I'm going to save it for when we talk about the positional groups because – but you're right in bringing yeah, that I, up. I feel like I am getting ahead a little bit. but <laughs> Yeah, you're right in bringing that up. I mean, I don't really think it matters what offensive line goes out there. There's just so many options and so many different ways that the Philadelphia Eagles can beat you pass rushing. And we talked about it in the episode a couple days ago when we mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. Hassan Reddick, probably the best free agent signing this past season in terms of uh, AAV and value that you get. Three years, $45 million. He gets 16 sacks in the regular season. 19 and a half sacks right now overall for the entire year. Six forced fumbles. The guy has been a revelation so far this year for the Eagles. And, uh, you know, that's just one guy. Javon Hargrave, defensive tackle, not even playing the three-tech for the Eagles, 11 sacks. But when Fletcher Cox has the least amount of sacks out of all your starting defensive linemen, you have a very, very good defensive line. So it's going to be extremely tough for the Philadelphia, um, for the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line to keep up with that, regardless of how good they play. You know that one of those guys is eventually going to get to Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, on the flip side, you have the best offensive line in the NFL going up against a pretty weak pass rush. You know, George Karloftis was not what we thought he was in year one. Frank Clark is whatever. Chris Jones finally popped his postseason cherry when it came to sacks. Um, and that was against an, an abysmal offensive line. We might not see any pressure on Jalen Hurts in this game. And that would be... Uh, a huge deal. I mean, that you know, the the Chiefs pass rush, and this is not a sentence I really expected because it's not a unit that's been tremendous all year. The Chiefs pass rush won themselves the game against the Bengals. I yeah. mean, they, of course, they were facing, you know, a, a mostly backup offensive line, but so were the Bills, and the Bills couldn't do anything. Yeah, uh, yeah we Chiefs, mentioned that too, yeah. Yeah, the Chiefs really showed out uh, against the Bengals. Like you said, Chris Jones had a big day. Karloff just played better, has played better later in the year. Frank Clark, I think, had a sack in that game. He's got a good postseason track record, too, with the mm-hmm. sacks. Um, you know, and uh, Mike Dana, too, who's a, kind of a little known guy, had a huge, has had a huge impact in the playoffs. Um, but all of a sudden, if you can just erase that advantage that the, that the Chiefs just had against the Bengals, I mean, you're set up incredibly well. You know, if this offensive line, if this Eagles offensive line does its job and takes away, Everything that, that that the Chiefs were able to do to beat the Bengals uh, with that pass rush, they should win this game. I mean, if you protect Hurts and you you know you block well enough uh, that the running game was able to move freely, I, I think there's no doubt that the Eagles win in that case. And uh, the, this offensive line is set up extremely well, extremely well to to do what the Bengals couldn't uh, and keep Hurts on his feet. Of course, Hurts being mobile helps too. But um, that, that, I think that's going to decide the game. If you let the Chiefs do what they did to the Bengals, you, you're going to lose. But if you don't, you have a great chance of winning. And the way this Eagles offensive line is built, they should be able to prevent that. I know. Now we're talking about defensive lines and we're talking about – I want to jump right into it so far. But everything that you say absolutely holds its value. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I, I want to get this out of the way because this is actually another marquee matchup if you look at it. But you look at the tight end situation. And it, it's a shame that Dallas Goddard doesn't get the recognition that he deserves as probably one of the top five tight ends in football. But there is no you're not getting close to Travis Kelsey. I mean, look at the numbers that Travis Kelsey had this year. And that was with basically taking the last like four weeks of the season off. Like though that four week stretch was like 
the worst of the season. And it, I felt like it was because they were kind of just like, you know what, Travis, you already got your 100 catches, you know, your 1400 yards, whatever it may be, your 14 touchdowns, just take it easy for now. And, um, and it really shows because in the playoff games that they've played, he's been a major factor in the passing game. I mean, against Jacksonville, I know he had a touchdown. I don't remember how many catches he had, but wasn't was it again? Didn't he have like a record or something? I, 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 it was actually. I, I had it backwards. I thought the 14 catches was against Cincinnati, but it was against Jacksonville. Yeah. But right out of the gate, 14 catches. Then, you know, of course, against the Bengals playing a major part as well in the middle of that field. Uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to to match up against Kelsey for any defense. It doesn't matter who he goes up against. Man, one one thing I'd really love to see, I don't know why I just thought of it randomly, but if I could ever see like an all-time matchup, I'd love to see like Ed Reed against Travis Kelsey, like both in their primes. Like I think that would be amazing. Or like Troy Palamalu. I know that I'm blowing past all the linebackers because we're like, I think that he just destroys every linebacker that he goes up against. And I'm even including Ray Lewis in that one that like, I don't think that anyone could really keep up with Travis Kelsey. His uh, speed, athleticism, strength for the tight end position, his route running ability is pretty much unmatched or something that we haven't seen since, you know, the earlier days of Rob Gronkowski, the, you know, Tony Gonzalez, those type of guys. He's definitely up there with the best, but I think you have to give the edge to the Chiefs on that one. Not even that. I mean, Noah Gray has a, a... a, a seriously, cons- you know, considerate role in the offense, you know, whether it be on, you know, those sweep plays or those QB sneaks that it's really the the tight end sneak that the Chiefs run. He's he's in the offense. You know, you'll see him pop up every once in a while. And it's a shame because, you know, you see the eight on the side of his jersey and he literally looks the exact same way that Travis Kelsey does. So every time Noah Gray catches a pass, I think it's Travis Kelsey, but it's not. He slides in there every once in a while, and he could be – I'm not going to say an X factor. I think that's kind of crazy to say, but he could definitely be a difference maker to move those chains as well. So talking about the position group as a whole, I mean, I, I kind of have to give it to the Chiefs. And, I mean, who's the Chiefs' backup tight end? It's, what, Grant Calcaterra? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Eagles. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, whoever they used during when uh, Dallas Goddard was out, but I feel like I feel like they didn't even look toward tight ends when Goddard was missing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I think you said it best. You know, there's no doubt that that Kelsey is bigger, stronger, smarter than everybody on the field. That's why he, you know, he, defense's game plan for him. Uh, you know, I think the Bengals said last year their their game plan was to just eliminate him, cover cover Kelsey, <laughs> worry, like cover him and worry about everybody else. You know, after that. And you know what? That proved to be the downfall because of Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yeah, well, you know, but that's what I mean. If we're going to expand this, because I think you know we already know that the, the Chiefs win the tight end battle. If we're going to expand this to the receiving core, and of to course, the whole group it's the next them, one up anyway. You know, that's what that's what. That's why what the Chiefs do so well. We know there's no Tyreek Hill. Nobody nobody is replacing Tyreek Hill. Uh, but when you have so many options, it's really hard to keep track of all of them. You know, Kelsey and Noah Gray are tough in their own right. But then you have Valdez Scantling. Um, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who I, I'm going to be careful because there are a couple of them dealing with injuries. I think yeah. they're all going to play except Michael Hardman. Although we're not yeah. we're not totally sure about Kadarius Tony. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tony. But they, and that, that hurt them late in the game yeah. against the Bengals. I don't want to pretend like it's no problem if, if a couple of these guys aren't 100%. Uh, 
because not having guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony on the field was part of the reason why they couldn't really do too much offensively late in that game. So they're going to need them. But, you know, if if they're mostly healthy, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, they've got what Jody Fortson makes an impact on that Jody field. Fortson, Justin Watson. Jarek McKinnon, who, who by Jared the way, Jared, I was a little confused about Jarek McKinnon's usage late in that game. He didn't really do a whole lot after yeah. uh, after that failed uh, lateral attempt with Travis Kelsey earlier in the game. That was game. awesome. So that kind of – knowing Andy Reid, that almost makes me wonder if he's going to have like a huge role in this game because, you know, like we said before, it's it's different guys every week. So I, I wonder if after Pacheco had a bigger role in the last game, if Jarek McKinnon is going to come out and have like 98 yards and a touchdown. Um, but, you know, that's what they've got. They, there's no superstar receiver uh, outside of, you know, there's no superstar at all outside of Kelsey. And yet there's so many viable options with an elite quarterback that they seem to just have defenses completely thrown off. So I wonder yeah. I wonder if that's going to be a challenge that the, Eagle, that the Eagles haven't seen yet. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that's a, Patrick Mahomes is just one of those guys that you could kind of put any practice squad guy out there and he's going to have an impact because Mahomes will find him eventually to make an impact. Talking about on paper, though, like you said, the Chiefs do not have a superstar in the wide receiver room. There's two superstars in the Philadelphia Eagles receiving room. Obviously, one overshadows the other, but we're talking about A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. We're talking about Quez Watkins as well in there. Even Zach Paschal is in there, too. You know, we, there are guys that can make some serious impact plays. And uh, I got to give the advantage to the Eagles. And and for that reason, why? You have two legitimate superstars on the outside. There's It's an amazing combination from the three. Because with A.J. Brown, you have speed, you have power, you have the smarts. With Devonta Smith, you have the speed, you have you know the winnability in 50-50 balls. Quez Watkins, he has unbelievable speed as well. There's just really no let up. I mean, granted, I'm I'm not saying that I would take uh, Quez Watkins over Juju Smith Schuster, Marquez Valdez Scantling, not, nothing like that. But you know, you add him in there as a third receiver that has blazing speed on the outside. It makes a difference when you have to one on one cover guys like Devonta Smith and, and AJ Brown. You can't afford to have two guys on one of these three guys. You just can't, and it's going to force a lot of zone coverage. It's going to force a lot of one on one matchups that I think the Philadelphia Eagles should be confident in actually winning those one on one matchups. I'm going to have to give my advantage to the Eagles in the wide receiver room. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, inexperience in the Chiefs' secondary. Uh, Legarius Sneed's had a good year. He cleared concussion protocol. He's fine. Um, but like you said, there's you know you have multiple guys you need to cover. Uh, outside of that, it's the rookie Trent McDuffie, um, the rookie Jalen Watson. You know, both have done a fine job for the Chiefs. Uh, but this is a completely different animal. I mean, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith both uh, look like legitimate number one receivers. Uh, AJ Brown had a phenomenal year. I, the connection between Hurts and Brown, I mean, they, they kind of look meant for each other. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're going to see him go to A.J. Brown early in this game. It seems like what he's been doing all year, even in, even in the playoffs, he looks toward him a little bit. Um, I know in the in the last game, he overshot him uh, pretty bad on one of those. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that that's really going to happen again. I think I think Hurts goes to A.J. Brown early, tests that chief secondary. But, yeah, when you have, you know, when you have Devontae Smith to go to, uh, after, you know, aside from Brown, that's, that's special. And Devonte Smith was, uh, 
put it on a show in that game against the uh, the cow against the Cowboys actually in the regular mm-hmm. season that they lost with Minshew at quarterback. That's right. I mean, those two are special when they can elevate any quarterback like that. So, uh, you know, it's not as diverse of a group as the Chiefs. Like we said, the Chiefs don't yeah. have the stars aside, you know, at the receiver position, but they've got options. The Eagles have some options, but not as many options. But you know, you've got Brown and and, and the Smith. star power over sh- over you know shines over yeah, the exactly so the, the depth, I guess. You know, but right. and uh, historically, honestly, if you look at if you look at teams that have won the Super Bowl, and this is actually it's kind of changed the last two years, um, but it's, a lot of times they have more options than they have stars at receiver. Yeah. Um, but you know, last year is different. Last year, although both teams had stars, so I guess it was happening either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but last year it was all Cooper Cup, especially after Odell Beckham got hurt. So maybe that kind of put a damper on that narrative. And of course, um, the, the Chiefs had Tyree Kill three years ago. But uh, if you look at those Patriots teams and all that, you know, there's a reason they were consistently beating a, a Steelers team that had Antonio Brown in its receiving core. They had the complete package. So I will give the Eagles the advantage. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think it's not a big be, advantage. It's not going to be like a you know a gaping hole between these two teams. I think Patrick Mahomes knows how to use his receivers really well. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, if AJ Brown goes out there and cooks whoever is on him, whether that's Lejarius Sneed or McDuffie or whatever, uh, then this game's going to be flipped upside down. I mean, that would be a huge advantage for the Eagles. No. So they Chiefs have to be careful. Think about it like this to kind of you know further polish your point about the just pure depth. That the Chiefs have the one thing that we thought going into the season was, well, how's Patrick Mahomes going to play without Tyree Kill? And he answered with his second MVP season. This, he surely yeah. will win the MVP. I'm going to go bananas he if he doesn't no, he win will. the MVP. Yep, he will. Um, and that's how he answered. So you're absolutely right in saying that he definitely knows how to use these guys. It's not like he's just throwing shit against the wall and see what sticks. He knows exactly where to go with the football. So. Just for you guys counting at home through the five positional groups we've talked about, it is a 3-2 advantage to the Philadelphia Eagles so far. I am keeping track, Dan. Don't worry. Uh, Donna Kelsey, I should say, not Dan. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Moving on. So now now we are done with the offensive side of the ball. We're going to have to move over to the defensive side of the ball. And unfortunately, as boring as it sounds, I would like to talk about the defensive line first because we were talking a little bit about it to begin with. So I figure we should just kind of – uh, recap what we already said and then just kind of end it uh, rather quickly because we already said it. The Chiefs' weakest area of their team basically the entire season has been their pass rush, has been their defensive line. I mean, Chris Jones, dis- despite having a top three, uh, a, a defensive player of the year nominee type season with 15 and a half sacks, wasn't much production coming out of those edge rushers, wasn't really much production coming out of any other interior Defensive lineman Keeley Saunders, you know Derek Nadi, those guys didn't really see too much from those guys either. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, you have a team in Philadelphia that had what thirteen sacks more than the next team in the NFL. They had seventy something sacks. They came very close actually to breaking the record for a season. They had they had four defensive linemen with ten plus sacks. That in its own right is tremendous. And I said it before that. If well, besides for the depth guys like Linval Joseph, Nadamik, and Sue, uh, you know, if if Fletcher Cox has the least amount of sacks in your starting defensive line, you've done something right. And like I said, Javon Hargrave having a, a career season, back to back years. Last year, seven and a half sacks. This year, eleven sacks. 
he's going to get paid this offseason, that's for sure. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be from the Eagles, but this is what I'm talking about with the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, Javon Hargrave goes out and gets paid by the Chicago Bears, who desperately need a three-tack. They have Jordan Davis to step right in and take over that starting spot. Regardless, like I said, like 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 basically kind of like the same thing that we talked about with the offensive line. You have, well, if Fletcher Cox retires, that opens up a door for Jordan Davis. If Javon Hargrave stays, um, leaves and Fletcher Cox stays, that opens up a door for Jordan Davis. There's just so much depth across this entire team. And, uh, you know, we've seen for years, decades even, the Philadelphia Eagles love to come at you with different looks, with different personnel groups. They're one of probably three or four teams in the NFL that rotates through about nine or 10 defensive linemen. The other two being the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Jets uh, constantly rotate through about nine or 10 defensive linemen throughout the game. So everyone's fresh. Everyone is ready to rush the passer. It's really a nightmare, honestly, to go up against. Yeah. I mean, look at all those names you just listed. I mean, they've got, and I know, I understand not all these are pass rushers, but they all have some capability of getting to the quarterback um, you know, maybe maybe the exception of Limbaugh Joseph at this point. But, uh, you know, even with the, the depth, the depth guys, Limbaugh Joseph, Nadama Kingsu, uh, we didn't mention Robert Quinn, who, you know, has not had a great year. But if they needed him to step up into a role, I think they'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, those guys have all, all been pro bowlers, and they're all kind of just depth pieces on this team. Jordan Davis, who was a, a top 15 pick, uh, is kind of more of a depth piece than anything. Um, but then, yeah, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, uh, Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Javon Hargrave, all capable of getting to the quarterback, and they do. Um, and, yeah, it reminds me a lot of the, the 2017 team where, you know, guys like Chris Long and uh, – what was the other name I was thinking of? There was Chris Long. Oh, Chris Trent Long. Cole. Was, was, I, almost, I don't know if Trent Cole was even in the NFL at that point. <laughs> Chris Long and, uh, and Derek Barnett, who, you know, not not tremendous at that point in their careers. Derek well, Barnett if you remember the wide nine with Jason Babin and Trent Cole, that's actually that's actually what I was going back to from 2009 at that point. Yeah. But, um, but, no, you know, you're, absolutely, you're, you're right. They've always had all these options. They rotate them in, they rotate them out, keeps everybody fresh, uh, and they're all talented, and so many of them are experienced. Um, yeah, you know – Part of me wants to say too that this this comes down to with two great offensive lines here, which uh, which guy who performed I, I, it was it was against the 49ers, right? That Hassan Reddick had a big day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know which one of these conference uh, champ, conference championship weekend stars repeats it? Chris Jones or Hassan Reddick? I mean, you can make a case they were the MVPs for their team. Oh yeah, last week without a doubt, Chris Jones had two sacks. Reddick basically controlled the entire first half. You know who's going to come and do that again? Uh, and, you know, you would think that the Eagles offensive line is going to be a really, really much, much tougher challenge for Chris Jones and for everybody else. Um, if we're going to talk about the Chiefs a little bit, like I mentioned before, they do have they do have some depth. I mean, you've got Mike Dana, who's really come on late this season. George Karloftis has been better. Um, Frank Clark is has not had a tremendous year, but he's a, a playoff guy. He performs well in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, you need Chris Jones to play like he did last week. Uh, there's Derek Nottie up there. He's more of a, a run stuffer. but. The Eagles have more options, but the Chiefs do have options. And, uh, you know, if they can generate a little bit of pressure, I think that would be considered a win. They can't expect to do what they did uh, against the against the Bengals. But, um, you know, I know we already covered the offense, but when you look at the disadvantage that they have now this week against this offensive line, it does feel like there's more pressure on the Chiefs' offense this week to perform. So that's going to be an interesting part of this game. Absolutely. And uh, 
I think it's safe to say we'll both give the advantage to the Philadelphia Eagles on that one for sure. Uh, moving on to a different positional group here. I want to talk linebackers. I feel like this is a very underrated uh, positional group for both sides, really. I mean, you're looking at Nick Bolton, who has been one of the better interior uh, linebackers in football the last couple of years, kind of, kind of quietly flies under the radar. You know, you're also looking at Willie Gay, uh, another solid piece there on Philadelphia. You know, you're looking at Kaiser White. You're looking at uh, what's in TJ Edwards. You're looking at a, a very interesting group. I, you know what though, I really don't think that it's it's kind of like the forgotten matchup because. I feel like both teams don't necessarily need their linebackers to play absolutely spectacular. I think just purely because of the athletic factor that Kaiser White brings to the table and the fact that he could cover very, very well, I might have to give the advantage to the Eagles, but I kind of really don't want to because Bolton is so solid and so is Willie Gay. And, you know, it's just, I feel like both linebacking cores just aren't, used as much as we've seen with other teams it really both teams really really heavily rely on their defensive line and their their secondary and that really seems like it I want to kind of get your thoughts on that too yeah I think you're completely right there's a reason why you know these names aren't as big as as some of the other position groups uh, they, they don't rely on them as heavily and the Eagles have won in the past without really a, a an incredible an incredibly talented linebacker room I know like Nigel Bradham was one of the biggest names back when yep. they won the last Super Bowl, um, and then the last few years uh, before T.J. Edwards emerged and they signed Kaiser Wright, they didn't really have a lot. They didn't have much there at all. Um, I, I do want to – T.J. Edwards has had a nice year. I kind of want to lean toward the Chiefs, though. I think uh, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton um, have proven themselves over the last couple of years. They're, they're still both improving, it seems. Um, I know Willie Gay, He I forget what the injury was. He went, he went with down with some kind of injury. Uh, against the Bengals. I know he's listed as questionable. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to play. I think I know if he wasn't. Uh, but, you know, be whatever he's dealing with, and I, I'm sorry for forgetting what the actual injury is. How dare uh, you? A different, it'll, be, it'll be a difference maker if he's not 100%. Um, but you're completely right. I don't think that these that this position group is where the game will be won. You know, obviously they, they may have some cleanup duty with, with some of what the, the Eagles running game, you know, when the Eagles run uh, running game inevitably breaks through the front of the defense, they Nick Bolton and Willie Gay might have to clean that up a little bit. But um, yeah, it's, it's I, I just want to I, I want to pull this up real quick just to see just because I know that, you know, obviously we didn't they both play four threes and we only listed two linebackers from both teams. So I don't want people to think that we're forgetting. But these are really the most noteworthy guys that we're talking about here. So I'll just. Uh, list off a couple guys for both teams, but continue continue speaking, Dan. I'm, I apologize for uh, <laughs> for interrupting your thought. I think I pretty much wrapped that up. But you know, I think the Chiefs really only use those two. I think pretty much because they've got uh, the way they they build their defense, the Steve Spagnuolo defense. They have a lot of pieces of the secondary in there. Um, I, I think they keep you know they keep like a, a slot corner, nickel corner on the field. They've got two corners. They've got two safeties out there, and Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill. Um, yeah. So you know that's kind of it's kind of the look that they put out there, but they really rely on on Bolton and uh, and Willie Gay. Yeah, it's just just to just to round it out for you people at home. So essentially, when we're looking at the Chiefs play a four three, kind of like what we were saying, because Carlos Dunlap plays um, strong side linebacker for them. So right then and there, 
he ain't he ain't going in into zone coverage. So we already know it's more of like a five two, if we're being honest with you, because Dunlap kind of similar to the way that Dallas implements Micah Parsons because he's technically yeah. an outside linebacker. He plays on the edge. So Carlos Dunlap is really the only other notable name, 65-year-old Carlos Dunlap. And then you have Darius Harris, Jack Cochran, and Leo Chanel. And I actually, I'll be honest with you, I uh, I did forget Leo Chanel there for a second, but uh, one of my favorite linebacking prospects from last year, uh, he he actually had a pretty decent year. All those Wisconsin linebackers actually had a pretty decent year. Jack Sanborn as well had a pretty decent year. Micah McFadden. Can you, like, Micah McFadden, Jack Sanborn, and Leo Chanel all at one point were playing for Wisconsin at the same time. Yeah, that, that Jim Leonard defense. Dude, Jim, don't sleep on my boy Jim Leonard, man. That's he was the most Jim yoked Leonard. the most yoked safety. Him and James and Hedebo were the two most yoked safeties for no reason whatsoever. And then on the Eagles side, let me just pull it up real quick. I know that. Um, you know, there's guys like that in, in there that are like N'Kobe Dean, all that kind of stuff. It hasn't really seen the field at all this year, if we're being honest with you. God, I love when my uh, my service doesn't work in my own house. Isn't that great <laughs> when that happens? Let me, excuse but, me one second here. But yeah, N'Kobe uh, Dean, that speaks to the depth, though, that they were able to take N'Kobe Dean in the third round. Everybody loved it, and he's barely yeah. played. They don't need him to yet. He's See, we hard. already talked about Hassan Reddick because Hassan Reddick plays strong side linebacker as well. It's more of a five. They kind of similarly play yeah. that 5 2 type of style. And then behind them, you got Patrick Johnson, N'Kobe Dean, uh, Christian Ellis, Sean Bradley. Kyron Johnson. So guys that no one has ever heard of other than you and me, essentially, is is who are playing behind. So very interesting to see there. So we'll give the advantage to the Chiefs only because I really feel like Bolton and Willie Gay are going to be guys that are going to step up to the challenge of they're also solid run stuffers, too, especially Bolton. I'm telling you, man, Bolton is one of the more underrated guys in the league. But moving on, different personnel group that we go to. Uh, I want to do corner and safety differently because I completely different uh, positional groups for both of these teams. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the cornerback position first. Pretty star studded on both sides. I'd say, because I think I consider Trent McDuffie a younger star for sure. You know, you have Legarius Sneed as well. And then on the other side, I mean, James Bradbury, big play slay, uh, if you want to throw Avante Maddox in there, I know he played a little bit of safety and a little bit of slot corner as well this year. Um, tremendous groups for both sides. Yeah, Bradbury's had a phenomenal year. I was kind of looking uh, into some of the numbers when I was putting together that post for, uh, you know, comparing the two secondaries. Bradbury's had a, a really fantastic year. Yeah, He's got the experience as well. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, the, it's you got two – high-end corners going against a receiving core that doesn't really have a, you know, like we said, it doesn't really have a dominant piece. It's not like they have to go out and cover a Tyreek Hill or something like that. So I wonder if Darius Slay and James Bradbury will really uh, take over that game for the, for the Eagles. But um, yeah, Avante Maddox is back. And, you know, by the way, with his return last week or whatever, whether it was two weeks ago or last week, um, they have all two starters healthy. They've got all 22 starters, the Eagles. That's very rare to get to February where you've got wow. everybody on the field. Um, Just so to give you guys – I'm sorry to cut you off. Just to give you guys a little bit of a uh, of a look into how deep the Philadelphia Eagles cornerback room is, besides for those superstars, you know, you got guys like Josh Job, Zeke McPherson, Josiah Scott, Kyra, um, you know, guys like that behind as well that are younger guys that can be – 
playmakers as well. I know um, a lot of guys, a lot of Philly fans, actually, uh, when I was doing mock drafts, people used to shat on me for taking a cornerback at number 10. They're like, well, Josh Job is is going to be the uh, the, the next uh, Darius Slay when he retires. And like, okay, right. But they really like what they've seen from that young group as well. And then, you know, on the on the chief side, we're not really seeing that much depth though. That's the thing. So you hate to think about it like this, where if one of these guys goes down with an injury, you're sending out, um, you know, Joshua Williams or Jalen Watson and granted Jalen Watson has made two excellent plays in back-to-back weeks, Mm -hmm. massive plays, especially that that was an incredible interception against Jacksonville, the one-handed interception towards the end of the game. Uh, He's been making plays, uh, but am I confident in him starting an entire game or filling in an entire game? Not necessarily sure. I'm going to have to give the advantage, for me at least, to the Philadelphia Eagles, just based off the star power and the depth alone. You know, when you look at uh, – when you talk about depth, Brian Cook came in. He played a little bit last week after uh, LeJarrius Sneed went hurt, got hurt, and he had a couple bad plays. I believe he had – I'm pretty sure he had a bad penalty. Yeah, he had a – he um, definitely had a game to forget. Well, he had a bad uh, a bad penalty in terms of field position, I believe. And then there was the one on the uh, – what could have been a Von Thornhill interception where he got – I think it was Hayden Hurst. He got to Hayden Hurst too early, just kind of rocked him before the ball was even there. You can't do that. And that was like – you know, it was a rookie mistake. Um, but you, you don't want somebody like him playing in, in the Super Bowl with these two elite receivers on the field. So it's going to be important that Lejarius Sneed is, is himself. You know, he had a concussion last week, and they survived without him. Uh, but you're, you're really going to need him this week because he's the one experienced uh, corner there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, J- Jalen Watson's had a fine year. Uh, Trent McDuffie looks very promising. I know he missed a little bit of time, but when he's been on yeah. the field, he's looked really good. Um, but – they're still both rookies, and this is still the Super Bowl. And I, 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 I think Lejarius Sneed, uh, who had the concussion and is now cleared and healthy, is going to be the key here. I know he can't cover everybody, uh, but he's got to do his job, assuming he's on A.J. Brown or whoever he's on, because the, taking your chances with rookies and relying on them too much against this receiving core is dangerous. So, yeah, I think, I think even if they were five-year vets, like just based on talent alone, the, the advantage goes to the Eagles – uh, with the way Slay and Bradbury have played this year. One of the best cornerback rooms in the league. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And the fact that both guys are on the wrong side, you know, once you get to that dreaded 30 mark, you know, it's like, oh boy, oh, this guy's got to retire soon. And uh, it's funny how, like, you know, in football, once you turn 30, it's like, well, you're on the backside of your career. And some people don't even get their lives started until age 30. But it's, 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 it's I mean, he's been around forever. He's still playing so well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, like I said, even if these guys don't play well, you know, you have a, an elite slot corner, Devontae Maddox. You have great young guys behind these guys. The, the depth is just insane. And then moving over to the uh, – I mean, you want to talk about a really, really great matchup in terms of uh, position. Safety position is is no slouch either. You're looking at, you know, Juan Thornhill, who's been very, very underrated in his career. Justin Reed, who's been a nice replacement for Tyron Matthew. Brian Cook, as you mentioned. Um, not a not a cornerback. I'm willing to kind of look past those those bad plays because he's playing out of position. You know, Deion Bush as well. These are guys that actually make some some pretty decent plays. And then you're looking over on the other side. I mean, completely healthy now. We're looking at a completely healthy uh, safety room now, and it's very interesting to see because you have C.J. Gardner Johnson, who was tied for the league lead in interceptions. He's been an, an amazing Howie Roseman trade yet again this year. Uh, Marcus Epps went into this season as a as a starting strong safety and Reed Blankenship was someone 
that was a solid depth piece that I didn't think was going to get as much playing time. I mean, he's from Miami of Ohio. I did a, a little bit of studying on him last year coming out of the draft. Six foot four, 220 pounds, more of a hybrid linebacker type of guy. He has been sensational in the playoffs. And he right now is listed as the starting free safety. Can you imagine a six foot four, 220 pounds free safety coming at you downhill? That's a scary, scary thought. And now, but think about it like this. Now you have Reed Blankenship starting next to CJ Gardner Johnson with Marcus Epps and Kayvon Wallace as your rotational safeties. Uh, I mean, that is just that that's depth. This yeah, team, I, mean, I don't think, I don't think people realize how well constructed this team is from top to bottom. I give credit to Howie Roseman because for that reason alone, he didn't have to go out and get C.J. Gardner-Johnson You know, at the end of August, a few days before the season. Uh, but he chose to upgrade, and now we're sitting here today saying, well, look at how ridiculously deep the safety room is because he went out and said, well, C.J. Gardner-Johnson's available for cheap, uh, and even though we don't necessarily need a safety, we're going to add him anyway. Uh, I think depth wins in, in the Super Bowl, in the playoffs. Um, I think this is you know, what we're seeing in the secondary with this depth is going to make a difference. Uh, yeah, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, though, is such a key because we know Mahomes has had turnover issues in the playoffs, uh, and not in the playoffs, in the in the Super Bowl. He's thrown four in, in two Super Bowls. Um, and if, you know, if the pressure gets to Mahomes, if they pressure him better than the Bengals did and force him to make some, some you know, dumb throws again, uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson might be the one who comes in and, and snags him for a turnover. So, you know, stopping Mahomes uh, is – it, it takes a lot. It takes a, a full defensive effort. And you're going to need somebody like CJ Gardner Johnson, who's a ball hawk, to capitalize on those errant throws. So uh, it'll be interesting. I think you said, you know, he led the league in interceptions with six. Didn't he miss like five games, too? Yes. He, he missed the <laughs> yes, he did. He still ended up with six. So he's he's coming for the ball. Uh, if he can if he can force a turnover here, I think that would be gigantic. Uh, Just but yeah, really, make- really deep safety room. I, I'd give the advantage to the Eagles. Yeah, definitely. Just to make things a little bit on the spicier side while you were proving your points as well, I went ahead and gave, because that's all that we have to talk about in terms of positional matchups, I went ahead and gave the special teams, the kicker, and the punter awards to the Chiefs because Tommy Townsend is a beast and Harrison Bucker is one of the best kickers in the league. No offense to Brett Kern and Jake Elliott. Those guys are just better. So even with those two victories there, the Eagles trump the Chiefs six to five in positional group wins. So, and some might argue, which is kind of crazy because, you know, field position game, you got a kicker that, I mean, Harrison Booker could probably hit from 60 in, in that, in that dome, to be honest with you. So that's another advantage too. People might say, even with those two advantages, the, the Eagles kind of dominate positional wise. And it's true. And now, now that we're done with that aspect of it, I want to get down to, Really, what people are probably waiting for this entire episode is I posed this question to you after episode 26 or at the end of episode 26. I want to hear your potential uh, offensive and defensive MVPs for both teams. And then obviously, after that, we will do our Super Bowl predictions and score, pardon me, and score predictions as well. I would like to hear your score prediction because obviously the script has been leaked if you didn't see that. And the script says that the Eagles are going to win 37 to 34, which I think would be a marvelous Super Bowl, by the way. But uh, yeah, I would I'll like take to hear that. that. Yeah. I hope it's true. Now, um, so you want offensive and defensive MVP from both teams, right? Yeah, I would like to just kind of hear your your thoughts on who you think will make the, the best plays or the most impactful plays. 
for both teams. Yeah, I think I think Travis Kelsey's the guy for the Chiefs. You know, it, I, I don't think – I mean, I don't want to give it away, but I don't think the Chiefs win. That's not my prediction. Um, but, you know, like how the when the Warriors won the finals this past year, it felt like, all right, like it's Curry's turn uh, to, win an, to win a finals MVP. Mm-hmm. It feels like it might be Kelsey's turn to win a Super Bowl MVP if they can pull it off. He's been too dominant – um, he was really good in that in the Super Bowl against the um, against the Buccaneers. He, I know they they really had nothing going for them otherwise. But he had 133 yards, some of them in garbage time. But he was kind of the one guy who who beat that tough Buccaneers defense. Um, if the Chiefs pull it off, I think it's going to be on Kelsey, especially with all these injuries on, to the receiving core guys who maybe are playing but not at 100. Um, percent I say over 100 yards for Kelsey, who by the way was apparently playing with, you know, some serious back issues in that last game. Yeah. It was 20 degrees. So we, we're, we're two weeks out from that, uh, and it's going to be 50 degrees warmer inside. So I think I think we're set up for a big day for Kelsey. Um, on the defensive side, I thought about it, and while I don't think Chris Jones is going to have the same day he did last time, I almost feel like I have to pick him just because I, I don't know who else I go with. You know, if Lecharius Sneed really shut down like A.J. Brown, you know, I call him the defensive MVP for the Chiefs. I just can't really see that happening. I, I can see Brown not having a huge game, um, but I, I can't see them completely shutting down these receivers. So I'm going to say it is Chris Jones, who because if he makes an impact against such a good offensive line, then he deserves to be the defensive MVP for that team. Uh, we're going to switch over to the Eagles. Um, this is a, it's a tough one. I've kind of just gone back and forth between both receivers because I feel like it, it's a matter of, of which one Hurts wants to, to throw over to. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm, I'm pretty confident in Snead um, and not as confident in the rookies in the Super Bowl, and if you know if Snead's mostly covering Brown, I feel like I'm going to say Devontae Smith. Uh, he's a playmaker. Like I said, that game yeah. against the Cowboys, he looked like a not only a number, legitimate number one receiver, but he looked like a top five receiver in the league. He's not that yet, but he's shown flashes of it. And I, he's based on what I saw when he was playing in the in the college football playoff, the national title game. He looks like he's built for these moments. So I'm going to say Devontae Smith. Um, and I kind of previewed it before. I think C.J. Gardner-Johnson is the defensive MVP uh, for, the, um, for, the, for, the, for the Eagles. I think he can, he can turn bad throws into turnovers. Um, he's going to see a lot of action um, all over the field. He's such a playmaker. He's a ball hawk playmaker. And we all know that, like, you know, it's not fair. But Super Bowl MVP awards like that are built on stats. Right. Uh, you know, you can't really be like, oh, he was pretty good in coverage. Like, you know, you need you need the numbers for if yeah. you're a player to, to get that kind of honor. Uh, I think I think he's going to come away with a turnover or something, you know, at least one turnover uh, and make a big impact. So that's C.J. Gardner-Johnson's my call. It's very toughest one there is the Eagles defense because there's so many huge pieces. Yes. It. Let me let me preface my uh, answers by saying, and you could agree with this as well. It really doesn't matter which team wins. If it's an offensive explosion, both quarterbacks are going to be the MVP of each team. That's just how it rolls in the Super Bowl. Essentially, if if you throw for more than two hundred and fifty yards and two touchdowns, and your team wins the Super Bowl, you're most likely getting Super Bowl MVP. Two fifty is tough, though. I mean, what did Stafford have last year? Well, he didn't. I I mean, he didn't really have that much right i mean so, the cooper so, Cup. you know i wonder if because the eagles have such a, a balanced offense you know where we're going to see a lot of them running the ball and to be yeah. fair some of that might be hurts you know hurts might be running yeah. too i wonder if hurts is going to get over 200 even even in a good game yeah that's true uh i am one for the interesting picks i don't usually try and go i try and think outside the box 
And that usually ends up me being wrong, but I don't really mind. I think that when we've seen this offense in terms of the Chiefs at its absolute best, Jarek McKinnon has been a monster part of the offense. And I think like we kind of said, like you said before, Jarek McKinnon didn't really have a big role in that game against the Bengals, which only leads us to believe that it's going to be the Jarek McKinnon show in, in the Super Bowl. So I'm going to say that in a James White-esque performance, that Jarek McKinnon might pull out a two or three tutty type of game and pull off Super Bowl or offensive MVP. And so I'm going to go with Jarek McKinnon there. Defensively, I kind of feel like what you said holds true with, you know, you got to think that Sneed is going to have to be, you know, pretty good and, and Devontae Smith might take over. I'm going to say I, I, I want to go so far outside the box. I really do. But defensively, now defensively, I'm going to go pretty basic here. I'm going to say Chris Jones because I think it'll be especially impressive if he could go, if he can get like two, two and a half sacks against that Philadelphia offensive line and really, really make an impact like he did last week or, or last game, I should say, where he really did make an impact, especially his last sack was basically the difference in the game. It gave the, the ball back to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going to say he balls out again. Uh, all the pressure is taken off of him. He finally has a couple sacks in his uh, postseason career. I feel like he's going to go and ball out. So on the Eagles side of the ball, I'm going to go with my, uh, ooh, I was going to go with Miles Sanders there for a second. I am going to go with Miles Sanders, actually, because I think that he's been a very, very underrated part of their run to the Super Bowl so far. Like we said the last couple of games, Jalen Hurts hasn't really been asked to do a lot. And I'm pretty sure Miles Sanders has like four touchdowns in the two games that they've played. It's like three or four touchdowns, yeah. I, I believe he's had. So I think he continues that hot streak. He's been a very, very good, a very efficient runner this year, too. I don't think because he doesn't get he's not a bell cow type of running back that gets those 20, 25 plus carries a game, but he makes the absolute most out of the carries that he gets. And I could see him, I could easily see him going over a hundred with two touchdowns in this game for the Eagles. And if they, if they just want to stick it to the ground and just kind of take the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands, I mean, they could do that. They could really do that. Uh, defensively, I'm going to go with Hassan Reddick. I think that for as dominant as he's been the entire year, I think that a key element for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl is going to have to be Hassan Reddick having another dominant performance. Like, like I said before, throughout, if you take into account all the games that they've played, six forced fumbles, 19 and a half sacks. He was essentially the Eagles MVP against the San Francisco 49ers. I don't see him slowing down at all in the Super Bowl. Yeah, just to, to go back to Miles Sanders, I, I was looking. He had three games with uh, 100 plus rushing yards and two touchdowns this year. So, you know, that, that big game potential is there. My one concern is kind of what I mentioned before, you know, so many running back options, uh, not well, so many running options between Hurts and Sanders and Boston Scott, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, you know, and it, it feels like it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint one guy on that Eagles offense. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if, if they somehow get to an early lead um, or, you know, or build up a sizable lead at some point where I think we're going to see a ton of Miles Sanders. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a sneaky pick that I like there. Because uh, we we know he's he's capable of having those games. He's already done them this year. Um, I just wonder if you know, are we going to see a ton of Miles Sanders, or are we going to see uh, a little bit of everybody? Which we don't really know the answer to that. You know, we've never seen uh, Nick Sirianni in the Super Bowl, and that's kind of the the one final matchup I would mention is mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm not sure how much this matters, but Sirianni has not been here before, and Jonathan Gann, the defensive coordinator, has not been here before. Spagnolo has, you know, many times, once with the Giants, uh, twice with the Chiefs. And, of course, Andy Reid has been here repeatedly. Not only has he been here, but he's been in close games, big games uh, in this on the stage before. So, um, part of um, you know what you just you know what you just did. You know what you just did. Now that you mentioned the head coaching, if we go back to the positional matchups, now, now we're tied at six. Yeah, I mean, I you know I don't know how much of an impact. Um, oh, I think it has an impact. Okay, like you know, because like you're you're right though, because look at Super Bowl. Um, which one was that? Was it fifty three when the, the Patriots beat the Rams? I think mm-hmm. Sean McVay was was a little overmatched. I mean, look at those two teams. I thought the Rams were probably the more talented team, and yet I oh, picked yeah. the Patriots because you know it's Belichick and thirty two year old whatever he was back then, thirty two year old Sean McVay. Um, and then last year he looked better. You know, even with with not as many options on the offense after Odell Beckham went down. The experience. Uh, he led it better. And so I, I wonder if, if if Nick Sirianni and Jonathan Gannon are going to get uh, outcoached by Reed and Spagnolo. Um, but at the same time, you know, Bruce Arians hadn't really hadn't uh, been a head coach in a Super Bowl before. And neither had Todd Bowles had never been to a Super Bowl in that capacity. And they, you know, completely overmatched the Chiefs. So who knows? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but it's something to, it's something that's going to be worth talking about the next day if the Eagles get, uh, you know, outmatched by the coaching staff. I think we're just going to go and say just for purely to add to the chaos that we're going to add that in. So the final score is six to six. It's a tie. So after that, the last thing I want to hear from you, Dan, is your prediction for who wins and your score. I'm going to say the Eagles 27-23. I'm gonna, I'll say they build they they build up a lead. I don't think it's a comeback. I think they build up a lead, and the Chiefs threaten it, but they can't make it all the way back. I think that Eagles defense is too loaded from top to bottom Very to let them all the way back into it. So I don't know if you guys know this, but Dan and I have been going back and forth on picking games the entire season. So of course, it comes down to the final game. Dan has a one game lead over me, and I have a chance to tie. So let me put it out there like this. For the sake of tying our records for the season, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. What I actually think is going to happen is I think we're going to see a barn burner, ladies and gentlemen. I am going with a huge score. I am going with 41-38 Eagles in an absolute classic. And it's going to be a last-second Jake Elliott field goal for the dub. I, I, I sincerely hope we get that. Forty-one thirty-eight. I I hope you're right. I don't, we're going to wind up being like like ten six. You know, well, you know, like you, you kind of mentioned before with the with the slow starts and you know, Jalen Hurts and experience. I kind of wonder if we're going to see a little bit of them feeling each other out. Oh, what you Probably. said actually was that these two are you know they're each other's toughest test of the year maybe. So you know for that reason I feel like maybe you know, maybe they'll feel each other out. I remember when the the Falcons and Patriots played it, it was scoreless. You know, in what turned out to be a thirty-one twenty-eight game, if I have that correct. Um, no, that 34-28, I think that game was. It was scoreless in the in the first quarter, the whole first quarter. There have been a lot of 0-0, I was going to say, I, I feel like the Super Bowl is always like a field goal in yeah, the first no, quarter and that's it. 3-0 or 0-0 seems yeah. to be like what you always land on uh, in the Super Bowl in the first quarter. It was 3 nothing for a while, even in that game where the Chiefs got blown out by the Bucks. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was, it turned out to be 31 to nine. It was three Oh chiefs for a little while, with the, the Harrison Butker field goal. So I think you're going to, you're going to see a little bit of a slow start and then you see the offenses pick up, um, which is kind of the opposite of last year. Cause it was uh, after that first play of the second half, it was 17, 13. And mm -hmm. all you saw the rest of the way was that one, you know, a couple field goals and that one touchdown drive by the Rams at the end. I think maybe we see a reverse. We see the offenses pick up in the second half uh, and a little bit of a slower start, a little bit like the 49ers and, and Chiefs Super Bowl from three years ago. But this time, the Eagles pull it out uh, instead of the Chiefs. Um, but it, listen, we all want a good game. Um, I hope that, that your prediction, 41-38, turns out to be closer than mine. I would like to see yours, too. I think it would be... Um... I think it would be very interesting to see because either way, I'm just hoping for a close game because, I mean, even though we've seen some pretty crappy defensive bat, like last year wasn't necessarily the greatest Super Bowl or 13-3 Patriots over Rams wasn't great either. But, I, you know, I, I want to see a competitive game. I, I That's all I want to see. I don't really care necessarily what the final score is, but I want to see some competitiveness. So while I think that my prediction would be the best case scenario, we could see a lot of offense get to see some fireworks. So what'd you say? 27, 23. I'm completely fine with that as well. Well, like I said, you know, if anybody listened to the last episode toward the end of it last year, I had um, Rams 24 Bengals 20 with Cooper cup as MVP. And it was 23, 20 with Cooper cup as MVP. Look I don't think you. I'll ever match that again, uh, but it would be cool if I did. So. Excellent. All right. So. I know I said that this episode was going to be 30 to 40 minutes by this time, or even by when I said that, you all should have known that that was going to be a flat-out lie. Uh, we do love to talk around here, that is for sure, and I never want to hear someone say that we didn't have a comprehensive breakdown in an episode again, because we basically focused, besides for the first eight minutes of the episode, everything on Super Bowl 57. So I hope you guys enjoyed our breakdown. I hope you guys not only have a great Super Bowl party, I hope you drink a lot of beer. I hope you eat a lot of food. And more importantly, I hope you have the day off after the Super Bowl like I do this year. <laughs>